Acts chapter 9, if those of you who have been with us for a few weeks, we have been going through the book of Acts. Not verse by verse, but kind of concept by concept and going through it, learning a little bit about examples that we can learn in 2021 from what happened in the early church. God has given us the book of Acts. It is a chapter 1, Jesus goes up to heaven. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven and fills believers. Chapter 3, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God causes them to go out and begin telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of that, many people come to know Christ. The church was added to and then it was multiplied because of the witness of Spirit-filled believers. That should still happen today. Now, there are many things in the book of Acts, quite frankly, that's a transitional book. It's historical in nature and transitional as well. Uh, oftentimes false doctrines are fostered from people taking the things in the book of Acts and putting them into play today in their practical things. You can see that the transition and the story of the early church is given the book of Acts. The, the, the mantra, the doctrine, the explanation, the how-tos are given in Paul's epistles and the other general epistles following beginning in Romans and ending in the book of Jude. Those are the epistles that kind of tell us how to function. Uh, Acts is a historical book. A lot of things are changing. Jesus has gone to heaven. The Holy Spirit now fills believers. There are certain things that are a little bit transitional. God is definitely trying to get into the heads of Jewish believers primarily. Because if the Jewish believers did not get the gospel of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be looking at each other this morning. If the disciples, they were, they were learning from the apostles' doctrine. That means the apostles had been with Jesus. They didn't tell them, open your Bibles to the book of Matthew or Ephesians or Philippians. They didn't have those books yet. The Bible is given to us in two, in one book, the Old Testament, 39 books written before Jesus Christ. That's all the Bible they had. Now they did not have Matthew through Revelation. So it's very transitional. That would come later. I'm glad that I have the whole Bible together today, and I'm glad we have that. But if you can see, the church is now growing. Years have gone by. They have a nemesis. His name is Saul of Tarsus. He was there whenever Stephen, the first martyr, the, the deacon of the church of Jerusalem, life was taken. He was the one that they took their coats off, the guys throwing the rocks, took their coats off and laid it at his feet. And he was the one who gave the vote, kill that guy. And he gave him, just he got a, like a war horse smelling blood. He was after it. He began to be used to, to persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the persecution was a bad thing, but God knows how to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He knows how to use the negative things of life to, get a cop, uh, to, to accomplish his desired work. And he certainly did here. You can see the book of Acts can be summarized in four words. Prayer. Prayer led to power. Power led to soul winning and preaching. Preaching led to persecution. Persecution led them to prayer. <laughs> prayer led them to power. Power led them to getting more people saved. Persecution would follow that. Now, quite frankly, that's true. Yea, all that, that uh, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Having come off the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, country of Egypt, I saw that very much. Uh, in, that, in that way. We are soft 
as far as Christianity is concerned. We have nowhere near can understand some of the persecutions that our brothers and sisters have taken uh, who live in foreign lands and who have opposition far. We're certainly grieved by what our country is doing. And you heard by uh, Dr. Gibbs just a moment ago that tremendous amount of lawsuits and pressures from the government agencies all the way down. Uh, had one of our ladies this week uh, give a gospel tract to someone. She said, ma'am, get that out of my face and you take this back. I don't want that. And that's not fun. But that happens occasionally. It'll be nothing compared to what some of our brothers and sisters are going through even as we speak today. But persecution took place. And we see that uh, Saul, he is the first person mentioned in chapter 8. He's also the first person mentioned in chapter 9. Last week we talked about the confrontation that took place Two forces colliding together at the, uh, at the road to Damascus, but Paul didn't have a chance. <laughs> he was up against Jesus, and he started out that chapter breathing out threatenings. He was loud and he was strong. He was confident, coming into Damascus with papers in hands on his horse, going to find more Christians and going to the synagogue first and find out if anybody else had been talking about this Jesus and he would get them, men and women, and he had planned to take them back to Jerusalem to be, to be prosecuted. And many of them, if he could, get executed. That was his plan. He comes in loud and strong. But then he collides with the Lord Jesus Christ. A light from heaven shines from heaven, and it lights him up, and he, is, he comes off his horse. He gets down on his face. He can't see. And then he hears a voice along with the people that are traveling with him, the soldiers and the people who are, are going to go and force what he wants done. They're with him. They hear a voice, and they hear it, and it says this, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And uh, he says, is it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Are you tired of the conviction? I believe with all my heart that he had been stirred up so many times. And, and whenever the same sun that melts the wax, it hardens the clay. And he had allowed the Son of God and the Spirit of God that convicted him to harden his heart versus soften his heart. And by the way, if you're there, uh, I would quickly turn into wax instead of clay. If God is speaking, don't make him yell at you. <laughs> Let his still small voice remind you that he is worthy of your response. And no response is still a response, but it's only natural. One of the reasons we have an invitation in the service, because God speaks to us, it's only natural for us to speak back to him. At the invitation of any, any service, at the end of your Sunday school class, at the end of your devotions, at the end of a church, all of us ought to very quickly respond to the Lord. Don't sit there and watch time go by and wait for him to figure out what, what lunch you're going to go to. Say, God, what do you want to say to me? It's only natural if I say hello to you, you should say something cordial back to me. If God speaks to you, you and I ought to speak back to him. Well, the Lord Jesus approaches Saul, and he is stunned. He can't see, and he said, okay, there's two questions that he had. I love this. He said, who are you? And what I need to ask you today is, who is God to you? Have you had a confrontation with Jesus Christ? All of us have an opinion of Christ it's either a high opinion or a low opinion. I don't know. But I will tell you this. Your opinion of Christ tells a lot about your life. It tells us about your schedule. It tells us about your finances. It can be revealed in your checkbook. It can be revealed in, your, in what you do with your time, how you respond, how you entertain yourself, where you go, what you do, how you act. All of that is dependent upon your opinion of Jesus. No one will ever experience the greatness of God in their life until they're convinced of the goodness of God in their life. 
When you know that who Christ is and you believe who he is, it'll change the way you live. It'll change what you do, where you go, what happens. And certainly what Paul wanted to know, what Saul wanted to know is who in the world are you? He said, well, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Now, once again, he was reminding him that it was not Jesus. Jesus was in heaven, speaking to him on the earth on the road to Damascus. It was his people. Just a quick reminder, don't give a hard time to God's people. Don't do that. Jesus takes it personal. <laughs> he said, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you're, you're hurting me. And he's like, who in the world are you? I'm Jesus. And then he says, Lord, what would thou have me to do? All of us ought to be faced with that question. Who is God to me and what does God want me to do? It'd be a good thing for us to think about when we wake up every morning. Who is Jesus to me and what does he want me to do today? God always leaves the best to those who leave the choices up to him. He loves you, ma'am. He loves you, sir. His best can be yours if you'll let him choose for you. But you'll have to choose first to follow him. There's no greater leader in the world than Jesus. Leadership has not been the problem. His followership has been the problem. He leadeth me in the paths of, for his name's sake. If you're not walking the paths of righteousness, it's not God's fault. <laughs> it's your fault. It's my fault for not following closely to him. Well, Paul found out who he was talking to, and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said, I want you to go into Damascus, and I want you to, to uh, wait there. And now, before he was loud and strong, now he is silent and weakened. He can't see. He's sitting by himself for three days and three nights, 72 hours. He cannot see. He does not eat. He does not drink anything. He sits there stunned, contemplating all that has just happened. Here he is. He got papers in hand. He is forcefully trying to kill and prosecute anyone who believes in Jesus. And now he just met Jesus. He has surrendered his will to him. He doesn't know what to do. And he sets in a home of a man named Judas. Not to, not to be confused with the Judas that killed himself. It's a different name. It was a common name in that area. Matter of fact, Jesus' brother was named Judas. We have the book of Jude. That is, a, that is the name Judas there. So it was a common name, but he, this guy lived in Damascus. He was probably someone who was going to receive him there. And, and he was going to stay with him while he did all of his arrests and all of his, his uh, acquisitions of people that were against him. And so he goes to this house of Judas. And while he's there, the Lord Jesus continues to be involved in his life. And I am so glad that when Jesus saved me, he didn't just leave me. He's got something going for you. It is faith in Jesus Christ that determines your eternal destiny. But it's service and works for Jesus that determines your eternal rewards. And whenever you get saved, God is still working in your life. It's sad to me that someone who could be saved by the grace of God does not yield themselves to the Lord. And I am not the, the best example of this, but I want to be. I want to be a good example to my wife, to our children, to you, to others, that this guy is committed to do what God wants him to do. And you should want the same thing for those who know you, especially if you've been saved by his wonderful grace. Let's look at our passage, if we can, please, chapter 9 and verse number 10. The Bible says that there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Ananias, and uh, to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street that is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he prayeth. 
He has seen a vision of a man named Ananias, that's you, Ananias, coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Verse 14, read it with me out loud, would you please? And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, and even the Lord, even, I'm sorry, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, and he sent me, and thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it was scales, and he received his sight forthwith, arose, and was baptized. And after you get saved, you ought to get baptized. And when he had received meat, he ate. How many would say an amen right there? He was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. As we see the story again, the Bible tells us here that Ananias, Saul is now living in his city. He has been there for three days. He is once again silent. He's weakened and he's blind. And he sits without food and water. And now the Lord comes to another man. It's very interesting. Ananias, Ananias is not a top dog in the local church. He is just a certain disciple. He's not an apostle. He's just a regular dude. I don't know if dude is really the right word there. He's just a regular guy in the church. The Bible tells us later when Paul gives us his, uh, his uh, account of this in, in Acts chapter 22 that he, is, he was a devout man concerning the law. That means he was a Hebrew. He was not a Hellenist or he was not a Grecian. He was a Hebrew, very committed to the law. He was very respected by the people around him, but he was just another guy in the church. But God came to Ananias. I want you to notice a couple things about Ananias. Number one, he was simplistic. He was just another person. Sometimes we have made a terrible mistake in our churches by thinking that people who really do work for God is the pastor or the assistant pastors or the deacons. And all of those are, are, are privileged positions. I think there's just two positions open in the, local, in the local church. Number one is to be the pastor. The other one is to help the pastor. And anything you do for God, you drive a bus, you watch the nursery, you do security, you're doing something to help the, help the pastor pastor the church. How thankful I am for the great men and women. It's an unbelievable church of really devoted saints of God who love the Lord, and I'm glad that you're in that group. Nonetheless, he was just a simplistic man. But he was also a sensitive man. God could talk with him, and he would do what God wanted him to do. He was sensitive. He was he was a God would appear to him and say, listen, I got something I need you to do. I like what he says when he comes to Ananias. He said, here am I. I'm listening. Do you listen to the voice of God? Are you alert to what God is saying to you? He's talking to you. I think he's talked to you this week. Some of you, he talked to you this morning. He's talking to you right now through his word. Are you sensitive to the Spirit of God? This guy was at least, I wonder how many times God has spoken to me, but I didn't get it. I remember one day I was driving in uh, Long Beach, California. There was a man, his name is Clive, and he's not saved. 
God put him in my heart to, 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 to think about it. I remember where I was. I was on 26th Street coming up on, uh, coming up on uh, Pacific Avenue. And the Lord impressed my heart, Clive. So I just prayed for him. I said, Lord, please help Clive to get saved and work in his heart. I went to the stop sign. I passed the stop sign. I went on there, and the Lord said, Clive. Not audibly, but I just like, he put on my heart, pray for Clive. Well, I, I thought, well, goodness, I think I have his phone number. I'll call him. I called Clive. I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, uh, how did you know? I said, what? Know what? He said, someone tell you? I said, no. No, no, what's going on? He said, we're with our daughter, Annabelle. She's very sick. She's in the hospital, Long Beach Memorial. I was three blocks from Long Beach Memorial Hospital. I, when I walked into that hospital and went to that emergency room, he was just stunned. He's like, well, who told you? How did, I don't even know anyone who knows. I said, the Lord knows, Clyde. He loves you. I wonder how many times I've missed opportunities like that. God brings in my heart someone to talk to, someone to address, someone to write a note to, someone to call, someone to witness to. An impulse that he gives us. You know, I think we see Ananias, thank God for him. He was just another guy, a simplistic, a certain disciple, one of many. But he was sensitive to the voice of God. Are you sensitive to the voice of God this morning? I think a lesson we can learn, we need every one of us. Not just the pastor that talks to you this morning, not just the great men that are sitting on the platform. Every one of us need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Because God's trying to talk to you. He wants to use you. I think every one of us ought to pray, God, use me to make a global impact with the gospel in my lifetime. I wish every one of you would pray that. Say, God, use me. I'm just one person. I'm a certain disciple, but Lord, use me. You're a man. You're a woman. You're young. You're older. It doesn't matter. God has something he wants to do in your life, in my life. But we need to be simple, and we need to be simplistic. And we need to be surrendered, and we need to be sensitive. I love this about this guy. This guy is terrified. When he finds out about it, but the Lord speaks to him. He says, Lord, I'm here. He said, look, there's a guy in your town. His name's Saul of Tarshish, and he knew who he was. He had heard many things about how he had, he had hurt God's saints, his people. The word saints, the second time you'll find it in your Bible, you'll find it right here in Acts chapter 9. It's the second time. It's given to us in Matthew, I think this in, 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 in Acts chapter 9. But saints means a holy one. It's not something that a church makes someone a saint. It's saint is anyone who belongs to God. And you belong to God whenever you get saved. When you belong to God, that's the moment you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Then you become a holy one. That means belong to God. Like our Bible says, holy Bible. Why? Because it belongs to God. God's spirit is holy. Why? Because it's his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Our tithe, what we give to the Lord in our, in our first fruits, is holy. It belongs to him. To spend it, you are stealing from the one who belongs to. Well, the Bible says to the saints, he said, this guy has really done some bad things. Let's continue our reading. If we can, please go, if you would, please, at verse number 11. And the Lord said to this simplistic, sensitive, and submissive saint of Ananias, arise and go into the street that is called Straight. They tell me there in Damascus, that street is still there. But uh, it is the main street, thoroughfare through there. And inquire at the house of Judas. Find out where Judas lives. For one called Saul, and see if Saul's with him, of Tarshish. And behold, he prayeth. And he had seen a vision. God had already worked in two people's heart, Ananias and Paul. Paul has already received a vision from God that a guy named Ananias is going to come see you. So God is working. And by the way, that's a wonderful thing. 
To know that God is working, even the difficulties of your life. You know, when your car breaks down, God's working. When you have a day of illness, God's working. When you get a raise at work, God's working. He's not just working in the good times, but the difficult times of your life. And he's interacting with someone else while he's interacting with you. So he said, look, this guy knows you're coming. I've given me your name. Go see him. Let's look at verse number 12. We can. He has seen a vision named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. He's going to be able to see again once you touch him. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, answered, Lord, I have heard many things of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And there he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon thy name. And the Lord said unto him, go thy way. Isn't it wonderful that he gives him, he said, look, don't, don't be afraid, go see him. He says several things about Saul. First of all, he's converted. Number two, he's chosen. Number three, he's a committed vessel. And by the way, we can learn that about Paul. What happens here, I would think for Christianity, this collision course, the conversion of Saul, is paramount to why we're sitting here today. But not only what happened to Saul, but what happened with a common man named Ananias. No, you may not be the king, but you could be a kingmaker. You may be still teaching your Sunday school class 15 years, and one of those little kids in your class are going to be doing great exploits for the Lord. Ananias falls off the pages of her Bible after this story. We don't hear about him again. But Paul's work continues on. So I, I witnessed that person. I don't think I'd save. You never know what happened there. God is using this, and he uses Ananias, a simple man, to change the history of Christianity through his ministry to one man, Saul of Tarshish. It's a beautiful testimony. It reminds me that all ground is holy ground, every bush is a burning bush, that everything we do is sacred and spiritual in nature. If we'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we'll be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I love what he says, and look at the next verse, if you would please. This encourages me greatly. He says, first of all, he's a chosen vessel. That's verse 15, to bear his name before the Gentiles. He'll be speaking to the Gentiles. He'll speak to kings. Does that become a reality, yes or no? Yes. He speaks to Caesar and Caesar's household. He has, he, he has an audience with Agrippa, with Felix. He has someone that God is going to use in a special way. And to the children of Israel, the Jewish people. Verse number 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. And I don't know that there's ever been a Christian that suffered much more than Apostle Paul did. Verse number 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said. Would you read the next two words? How endearing. Could he have said that a week before? No. He says, Brother Saul, by the way, aren't you glad you're a part of the family of God? You may notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and each other, we're so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear because we're part of the family, the family of God. I think it's a beautiful thing. Ananias, a simple, surrendered, sensitive saint, goes to Paul and says, Brother Saul, puts his hand on him, and God gives him his, his sight fills him with his spirit, and then helps him get baptized. You know, I, I want to say to you this morning, church family, you have a role in God's eternal plan. You need to take it seriously. You need to ask yourself, who is the Lord to me? What does he want me to do? Now, I don't care if you're 87 or 7. 
If you're saved, God has a plan for you. Now, if you're here today, you're not sure. If you would die, you'd go to heaven. God loves you, and he has a plan that you would not perish. You wouldn't go to hell, but you could have forgiveness of sin. If you're here and you're not sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. I hope you'll do that. If you are saved, I hope you'll follow the Lord and believers' baptism and live for the Lord. I would say also that if you are a Christian, I want you to say, God, I'm just one of many, but I want to be sensitive. I want to be surrendered. Because it's not just about me. It's about you and your work. Paul was someone that he was converted. He was chosen as a vessel of God, and he was committed and you and I are sitting here today large in part because of what God did. Not just with Saul, but a guy named Ananias.